Well, this morning we're going to continue our series entitled Twisted, Commonly Misused Verses. And we're going to be at a very, very familiar passage this morning in Proverbs 22, verse 6. And before we turn there, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of these different passages we've looked at uh, thus far in this series. We've looked at one passage that that teaches something biblical, but just not out of the verse we're used to. We talked about where two or three or two or more are gathered in my name. We use that kind of in a setting of corporate worship or a time of prayer. And in reality, while that is true, where two or more people are gathered, God is there also. He's also present in the midst of the individual in Christ. Now, we learned that that passage actually is teaching about agreement in church discipline and correction according to the Word of God. So it taught a, a truth, but just from the wrong verse. And then we looked at another passage of Scripture that, that really taught, uh, taught something that was completely taken out of context and, and maybe even possibly even unbiblical the way some people twist it. When we looked at uh, the verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. And there's truth to that verse. God's plan is to make you prosperous, but not while we are here on this earth. That prosperity, that blessing comes in the next life. And our life here is is filled with struggles. And that's a reality all throughout Scripture. That verse is never intended to say that God wants to make you prosper here while you're struggling on this earth. Then we looked at another passage of Scripture that, that just taught an outright lie, right? The Scripture was true, but we twist it in such a way that, that it teaches a very, a very difficult truth to us. And when we take the verse out of context, it's unbiblical to begin with. So we want to be very careful how we use Scripture and how we handle it. Sometimes we twist it to our own agenda and make it something that the Word of God never teaches. Other times we, we teach the right truth, but from the wrong place, and we end up kind of down the, the wrong path. This morning, as we look at Proverbs 22, verse 6, it's a whole different category of twisted Bible verses. Because this verse actually does mean what it says. It's not like we're, we're twisting words here. We're going to read it in just a minute, and we're even going to look at the context of this verse. The problem with this passage is often the guilt we place on ourselves or on others because we, we view it through the wrong lens. And so let's just go ahead and read the passage, and we're going to unpack it and talk about what Proverbs 22.6 teaches us this morning. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many of you all have heard this verse before, Proverbs 22.6? How many of you all have felt guilty at times reading this verse? Some of you with kids still at home, and some of you with grown kids, and that's okay. How many of you all have read this verse and thought, I should have treated my mom and dad better? Good, I'm glad some hands went up, because there's some application in that as well. This is a passage that, that we really can't twist all that much. It says what it means, and it means what it says. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so how then are we twisting and manipulating a fairly straightforward verse? I'm afraid that this verse is is the source of a lot of guilt for a lot of parents with grown children. As a matter of fact, I've heard this verse quoted to me time and time again. That maybe we did something wrong because our kids have stepped away from the faith. 
Maybe I didn't train them up in the way they should go. Maybe my flaws and imperfections are the reason why they're struggling. I've heard it go the other way too. I've heard some false sense of assurance in this verse that this verse does not promise. I've heard some parents whose kids have wandered away as they've gotten older say, but I know that I trained them how, and so one day they'll come back. I don't need to do anything else. I've raised them. I'll pray for them. But eventually, this verse tells me that because I trained them in a, in a church setting, one day they will come back to the faith. That's actually not what this verse says either, does it? We, we can read it for itself, and it makes none of those promises, and yet we use this verse as a way to either give ourselves immense guilt over how we parent and how we treat our children, or we, we give our children a pass and a license as if, as if they don't have to make decisions on their own because you raised them a proper way. They're all of a sudden going to turn out just fine in the end. As we look at this verse, I I think that there are several things I want to key in on. But before we can even look at that, I I want to talk to you about the nature of the book of Proverbs to begin with. So when we talk about context, we're going to look at the verses before and the verses after. But I, I think it's very important to look at the entire book of Proverbs as well. Because the book of Proverbs is often a lot of short, pithy sayings that have a lot of great practical information. You can read through the book of Proverbs and there are times where you'll see a section of 12 or 15 verses strung together that make one thought. But a lot of the book is one verse separate from another verse separate from another verse. To where they're they're literally just giving you nuggets of truth. Oh, that's why Proverbs is a great book to read and study. And even, we talked about coffee mug verses. You can slap on a coffee mug and out of context and These verses, you can slap on a coffee mug and they mean exactly what they say. It's an amazing book. But I think we have to realize that the book of Proverbs is written not as a hard and fast promise in everything it says, but instead, most Proverbs are principles, not promises. Now, there are certainly promises in the book of Proverbs. There's certainty in the book of Proverbs. However, a lot of the the Proverbs are given Give us a general outline for how life is intended to work. Let me give you a few examples throughout the book of Proverbs to show you what I mean. Maybe some more obvious places to turn to. As as you read through Proverbs, you get to a section, especially starting around chapter 10 or 12, where you get these one Proverbs at a time, and you get Proverbs like this in Proverbs 12.10. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, But the mercy of the wicked is cruel. So let me summarize what this verse is saying. If you treat animals well, you are righteous. And if you treat animals poorly, you are wicked. Is that a fair interpretation of what this verse is saying? Now, does that mean everybody who loves animals goes to heaven and everybody who hates cats, well, they're also going to heaven. But everybody who hates dogs then would be going to hell, right? Is that that what this verse is saying? The separation of our righteousness or our wickedness is based on how we care for the beasts of the earth. Is that the promise that is taught here in this verse? No. But there is a general principle here, right? If you are righteous and follow God, you care about his creation. The righteous should read the word of God, should observe all that God has created and say, God is good, therefore his creation is just what uh, he intended it to be. Uh, Before the fall, he created it perfect, and I'm going to, to recognize the goodness of creation. 
the righteous should look at the animals and love them. Now, again, does that mean all animal lovers are righteous? Absolutely not. Does that mean all people who don't really like animals are wicked? That's not what this means. This proverb is a principle. Look at God's creation and celebrate his goodness. Not a promise. Let's look at another one. Proverbs 14, 11 says, The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Now, if we're taking this as a promise, we have to look at it and say, everyone who does evil in the sight of the Lord will be destroyed and have nothing. And everyone who does good and follows the work of God will have mansions and be prosperous. Is that what this verse is promising us? No. Haven't we already studied several weeks ago that that there are times that good things happen to bad people and that really bad things happen to really good people? Aren't there times that the righteous in God struggle and suffer and times that the, the wicked seem to prosper? Instead, this verse is not a promise. If you, if you are upright, you'll flourish. This is a principle. God knows what's best for you. Trust him. Just trust that God has a will and a plan for your life and, and trust that he ultimately knows what's best. This proverb is not a promise. It is a, a principle, a guideline. It's important for us to remember this as we read any verse in the book of Proverbs. There are some sure verses, some verses that say, if you do this, this will happen. And we can read from the rest of Scripture and say, amen, God is faithful. But there are many verses, and I would include Proverbs 22.6, that give us a principle to live by, but not a guarantee. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. This is a great general principle for us to live by. And we need to understand how important this verse is. But we need to also understand that this is not a guarantee. And we're going to look biblically at why we can say this is not a guarantee, but instead an extremely important proverb for our lives. The first application, I've got two for you that we need to write down. So if you're taking notes, you've probably written this down already. You can write down this as well in your bulletin. Sow godly principles in your children. That's what this verse is teaching. We are to sow godly principles in our children. Here's why I like to use this word sow, because we are going to look at context here. You probably have your Bible in front of you. I'm not going to put all the verses on the screen, but you can kind of look at some verses surrounding Proverbs 22.6. And if you have your Bible, I'll highlight a few of them that you can kind of glance at, maybe take notes of. But the verses immediately before Proverbs 22.6 and the verses immediately after have to do with consequences. If you do this, this will happen. It talks about sowing and and reaping. For instance, in verse 4, it tells us if we sow humility, we will reap honor. Again, not a, not a guarantee, but instead a, a principle. If you, are, or if you are humble, then the Lord will bless that. If you sow humility, you will reap honor. Verse 5, if you'll sow evil, you will reap thorns and thistles and, and, and struggle in life. Again, a principle. Sow evil, reap thorns. Down in verse 7, we see if you sow debt, you reap slavery. You're indebted to someone. If you are constantly seeking after the almighty dollar and and putting yourself more and more in debt, if you're sowing that, then you will eventually reap slavery or poverty. Verse 8, it even uses the words sow. It says, if you sow injustice, you will reap calamity. In other words, if you're wicked to people, then you should expect wickedness. 
And you see these, these consequences and these statements that are being made. If you do this, then this will happen. The principle is, if you sow this, then expect to get this. In a farming context, you can say, if you sow kernels of corn, you could expect corn. If you sow uh, seeds for soybeans, you should expect soybeans. If you sow pumpkin seeds, you should not expect watermelon. You should expect pumpkins, right? This is the principle that God is giving us. If you sow godly principles in your children, it is reasonable to expect that those children will grow up being faithful in the Lord. What you put into your life will determine what you receive out of it. Again, not a promise, but a a biblical principle. And when we sow godly principles, we hopefully and prayerfully reap mature Christian adults. Let's see where else in Proverbs it talks about the importance of raising children. As a matter of fact, we're going to read over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs. I just have a few verses, but over and over again, how important it is to to invest godly principles in your children's life. We already read Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Probably the hardest thing to unpack in this verse is, is what way he should go. What does it mean in the way he should go? How are we training our children? There are some commentators who you read who say, train up a child in the way that he's already going, the direction that, that he is living his life, encourage him in that. Don't try to make them something they're not. Train up a child in the way he should go. Can I tell you, I think that that's liberal garbage. I really do. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't encourage children to be themselves. But the way my children go, I have three wonderful, amazing children. If I let them go the way they want to go, it's not always in a godly direction. Is that right? right? You know this from your own sake. If you just tell your children, no rules, do what you want, they eat cake for dinner, right? If you tell your children, do whatever you want, they stay out as late and get in trouble. They become the prodigal son. They don't become the the faithful son, right? There's this idea of of just nudge your kids in the right direction. Can I tell you, I don't think that that's what this passage is telling us. It's not train up a child the way that, that he would go. Not train up a child in the way that he wants to go. Train up a child in the way he should go. And how should our children let me back up a little bit how should our children's parents be going what are we living and how are we teaching them are we sowing godly principles these are the things god wants you to do and these are the reasons why god wants you to do it one of the reasons why i absolutely love the curriculum we use in our sunday school class a curriculum that our jam kids use on wednesday nights is it doesn't just say this is what the bible says follow it it says this is what the bible says and here's why god has put that in there here's the answers to your questions that you have there's a there's the the do it and there's the because god loves you and let me show you it and i love that about answers in genesis that unpacks that for us and for our children we're to teach our kids this is right from wrong and here's why we serve the lord we should model it ourselves we should be ready to to open up god's word in front of them and not just wait for the pastor or the sunday school teacher to do it we should be at home going can can we read what the pastor preached on this morning again and try to figure out what that means for our family what that means for you but we should have our own daily devotionals where we, where we ask our kids questions. Maybe we don't sit down and read the Bible with them, although I encourage it. Maybe in our own devotions we say, you know, I read this passage this morning. 
And this is how it hit me. What do you guys think about it? But we should be teaching our children how God wants them to live. And the principle is, as that, is that feeds into their lives, they will grow up knowing right from wrong, knowing God's word is true, knowing that God is faithful. We read elsewhere in Proverbs in chapter 13, verse 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You know how many times as I was looking for Proverbs on parenting that that passages on discipline popped up. Now, that, that doesn't mean uh, spare the rod, hates the son. S- some people say that means if you don't spank your children, then you're a bad parent. That's not what this verse means. Again, let's not twist it. But what it says is, whoever spares the rod of correction, wh- whoever is not diligent to discipline, is, is not loving towards your children. Now, our kids need correction. Let's be honest, we need correction. Every once in a while, I need someone to step in and say, Trey, you're off. But our children, especially as they're growing and they're learning, need to know that you can't, you can't have all of this sinful activity and expect not to have consequences. Because God's word wants to correct us, wants to, to help us and lead us. You know, there's a difference between, and we, we hit on it briefly, we always step on my sermon during Sunday school. There's a difference between between punishment and discipline, isn't there? Punishment says you did wrong, you deserve this. And there's a time and a place for that. But discipline, <laughs> discipline says you did wrong and God wants so much more for you. Can we correct that? Is there a way that we can get you back on the right track? Punishment says you deserve it. Discipline says you deserve so much more, right? Right? Over and over and over again, it says, if you want to train up your child in wisdom and the way he should go, you have to be there as a parent to, to correct, to guide in a loving way, not in a, a, a punitive, punishing way, but in a, a loving, disciplined, fatherly, motherly way. We're, we're called to correct our children and not to be lax. Then also we see another principle of parenting in Proverbs 20, verse 7. This reminds us of what we've already read. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Here's another principle. Your children are going to grow up and be godly kids. How? Because you walked in integrity. Part of raising your children is not just telling them what's right from wrong. Part of raising your children is living out what's right and wrong. Is you as a mom and a dad and, a, and an aunt and an uncle and a grandma and a grandpa and a mature believer in a church full of kids living a life that is consistent with the word of God. You know one of the biggest reasons why children grow up in church and leave the church when they graduate high school or, or go off to college or maybe become young adults themselves? Time and time again I hear what the church taught and what the church did were not the same thing. What came out of the preacher's mouth did not spill out into the congregation. What we read in Scripture did not line up with what my parents did throughout the week. I hear that over and over and over again, and it breaks my heart. What's even harder to me is is hearing how unloving some people's church experience was, and yet they go out into the world and find acceptance and love and care. Where do you expect them to go? (laughs) If we're not modeling integrity... As adults, why in the world should we expect our children to follow suit? If we're not living out the truths of God's word, how in the world would we ever expect to to reap godly, mature 
Christian children. Deuteronomy, we're stepping outside of Proverbs. Deuteronomy, uh, as Moses is, is giving the law to the people for, for a second time, because like all of us, they need it over and over again, right? Moses is giving them the law, and he tells them they are to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. They're to, to give everything to the Lord their God. And then listen to what he says about this commandment in Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. These are the words that I command you today, and they shall be on your heart. He says, remember them, adults. And then an important phrase in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Make this a part of your life so much so that the teaching overflows to your children. Parents, this is a passage that teaches us the importance of investing in our own Christian faith for the benefit of our children. You don't have to have, although I would encourage, it's a great time. You don't have to have a sit down and, and let's read the Bible together as a family every night of the week. And if you have that, I encourage that. That's fantastic. But sometimes teaching the Word of God is just, just when you sit in your house, <laughs> sitting around, as you walk by and you do life together, as you, you rise out of bed and, and it's on your mind, and when you lie down at night, it's still a part of who you are. God calls us to sow these godly principles in our children because his desire is that they see it in parents and in adults, in grandparents and aunts and uncles, over and over and over again that it sinks in. Oftentimes, the, the Hebrew people would put things into song so that, that they could be remembered easily. If you like the book of Proverbs, it's kind of these, these short, uh, pithy sayings. If you like music, read the book of Psalms, where they took godly principles and godly promises and put music behind them. We don't have the music recorded, but we have the lyrics, and it's beautiful. A lot of times they would do this because it would help memorize things. Over and over again, they would hear these words, and their children would remember the songs that they sang. I've got a lot of things I remember because of music. I've got a lot of things I remember because it was repeated and, and punched down in my head so hard. I know the quadratic formula because of the tune to zippity doo that a math teacher taught me. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I can remember it today. I can tell you all 50 states in alphabetical order because of a song I know. But you know what I love? My, my children, Ashton and those in jam, are learning books of the Bible because they sing a song. And man, Ashton knows her books of the Bible. She puts me to shame. Why? Because it's been in her mind over and over and over again. From a secular perspective, I, I remember uh, playing soccer when I was a freshman in high school. I wasn't a very good soccer player. I'm not a very good soccer coach either, but I've got a couple of soccer players here this morning, and, and we're doing okay. But as a freshman soccer player, we had a new soccer coach, and I remember every time we'd run, we'd run three miles every practice. Well, most people would run three miles. I'd run a little bit and walk a little bit and run a little bit and walk a little bit. But anyways, as we were running and doing it, our, our coach would actually run with us, set an example, and he would always make us say this phrase over and over and over again. Hard work doesn't guarantee anything, but without it, we don't stand a chance. The first time he said that, I went, that doesn't even rhyme. You know, that's not really even to the cadence of how we're running. What? What a dumb way to teach things to people, you know? We'd say it once and say, repeat after me, say it again. Hard work doesn't guarantee anything, but without it, we don't stand a chance. Say it again. Hard work doesn't guarantee anything, but without it, we don't stand a chance. Over and over and over again, every day that we ran, 
before practice. Every single time. And to this day, that principle sticks out in my mind. It doesn't matter how hard I work. That doesn't mean good things will necessarily come. But without it, right? Without that hard work, it, it doesn't, doesn't bear fruit in my life. These are phrases that, that just have been taught over the years. And we remember why. Because they were important enough to someone to teach us. What if we took those godly principles and over and over and over again sowed them into the lives of our children? When they grow old, they may walk away from the church and walk away from the faith. And we're going to look at that here in just a minute. And we, we can't really control that. But you know what we'll know? They'll remember. They'll remember the verses that they memorized. They'll remember the, the principles that were taught. They may reject them, but they will know them and they will not depart from them. So godly principles in your children. It is so important that we invest the word of God into our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, and the children of our church. And I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but I, I feel like there are several who really, really, really beat themselves up and need to know this. Each person is responsible for their own actions. Here's what I mean by this. Your victories and failures as a parent did not condemn your children, nor do they save your children. The things you did well aren't the reasons why they're strong Christians, and the things you did poorly aren't the reasons why they've left the church. Each person has to decide for themselves, do I want to follow the will of God or not? Do I want to make this real in my own life or not? I think it's really important for us to understand that we do not save our children. We don't. Our children are not believers because we're believers. Our children, hopefully and prayerfully, are believers because there's a moment in their life that the Spirit talked to them, told them of the great love that Christ has for them. And they realized above all else that nothing else in life mattered except for pursuing a relationship with God the Creator through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's only in that that a person is saved. Each person is responsible for their own actions. So while Proverbs 22.6 puts a lot on the parents, train up a child, be obedient in, in modeling integrity. Parents, you have this huge responsibility. Can I tell you, children, you're not off the hook. Grown children, young children, high school children, middle school children... You have to make that decision on your own. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs, we read just a, a few chapters later in Proverbs 22, or 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Children, listen, your parents love you and want what's best for you. And you have a responsibility to decide, do I want what God says is best for me or not? I love this next proverb because it, it ties in that Deuteronomy passage so well on the responsibilities of children. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 through 22. It says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. I just envision the, the writer of Proverbs thinking of Deuteronomy 6 and the binding and the tying. And now he's telling children, you do what your parents have taught you. In verse 22 when you walk, they will lead you. Children, when you walk, your parents will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will walk with you. 
there's this reminder. Kids, your parents have what's best in mind for you. If you have godly parents, they want what's best. Are they perfect? Oh, I'm one of those imperfect parents. Do they love you? Oh, you better believe it. When you're walking, guess what? They want to lead you and help you get where you're going. When you're down, they want to come down in the valley with you. When you're on the mountaintop, your godly parents, as flawed as they are, want to celebrate with you. Children, grown or young, your godly mother and father care so much about you. And now the question is, will will their faith, will their example bleed down? Will you accept it as your own faith and not just the faith of your family? Will you take some time and say, it matters to me personally. I want to be obedient. Not because mom and dad told me to, but because, believe it or not, God loves me as much as they told me he loves me. Each of us as individuals are responsible for for how we act, what we decide, and what we do. Parents, while you invest in your kids, it's so vital. Know that it's the Spirit who saves and it's individuals who respond. Now, all of us have to ask ourselves that question. Is my faith one of someone else's, my parents or whoever it may be, or is my faith my own? Have I put my faith and trust in a God who loves me and cares for me and want ultimately what's best for me? This morning, as we, we study Proverbs 22.6, we're reminded that it's not just children who need to be trained. It's all of us. We all need those godly principles sown in our lives. And we all need to make a decision in our own, uh, in our own lives. Do I trust and follow in the salvation of Christ or not? Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. And Lord, let us not mistake this principle as something that can be dismissed. It is an absolute truth from you. That this principle rings true. If we sow godly teaching into our children, we can expect, and Lord, we should expect, all the right seeds to be there for them to make God-honoring decisions as they grow. Lord, at the same time, we're brokenhearted because we have sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. Lord, sometimes we blame ourselves and we know we're imperfect. Other times, Lord, we, we cling to a promise that's not there and just assume maybe one day they'll figure it out. Lord, let us be convicted not to fall into that trap either. Instead, Lord, let us take comfort in knowing that the, the word of God does not return void, that all that we have invested in our children remains Lord, now we pray that they would make God-honoring decisions. Lord, we pray for the children of our church, our young ones in the nursery, those who are elementary age. Lord, we pray for our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. Lord, even our college students who are, are here as they're young and learning and growing in life. We, Lord, we pray that they would see your word modeled in the lives of their parents, in the lives of the adults in their life. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would speak to them and tell them that their faith is their own. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the faithfulness of your word. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.